0: The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 6, The Clay Pit, Part 1. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you right here. If you have a story to tell, please send an email to thenightowlpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. In this episode, I travel to a local Austin restaurant housed in a historic downtown building where employees and patrons are hearing a disembodied voice clearly call out their names, spotting a boy who's believed to have passed away in the building, and even having the police get involved with one of their sightings. Stay tuned. If you're a fan of this show and are interested in getting access to exclusive extras behind each episode, consider helping us out by becoming a Night Owl patron. Visit patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N How Patreon works is you set up a small repeating donation of your choosing. It can be as little as a dollar a month. It's basically a tip you're giving us for each episode. These contributions will help cover the cost of things like web hosting, editing software, equipment, and all the little things it takes to make this show happen. Patreon is safe, secure, and easy to use. You decide how much you'd like to give per episode, and if needed, you can easily cancel or suspend your contribution hassle-free. In return for your support, we offer you exclusive access to deleted audio segments, follow-up interviews for past episodes, video walkthroughs of locations we investigate, my personal video diaries where I share secrets and personal thoughts about each episode, and a bunch of other really cool stuff. So go check out patreon.com slash thenightoutpodcast, and I hope you can join our Night Owl patron community. As you should know by now, Austin is full of unique people and places. In just my first couple of episodes, I found myself hunting spirits at a tattoo parlor located in a coffee shop near the University of Texas campus. Then I found myself unraveling a complex mystery surrounding the supposed murder of a child who haunts the historic Austin bar, the Tavern. So now when I tell you my next adventure is taking me to a contemporary Indian cuisine restaurant just a few blocks from the Capitol, it shouldn't be too shocking to you. I have to admit, I was a bit surprised by the location myself. I'd been to this restaurant numerous times. The food's fantastic, the service is top-notch, and the building is really quite beautiful. But I never took it to be haunted. But it's not always places with cobwebs and dark staircases that have ghosts. I've learned that doing the show. It's just hard to think of anything else but eating when you push through those front doors at the clay pit. The curries, the spices, the sweet scent of steamed rice. Ghosts are the last thing on my mind, that's for sure. A big bowl of curry is what I'm thinking about. But you can't let the looks and the smells of the place fool you. The building itself has a very long history and is marked by a large plaque just outside the front door that reads, Austin Landmark. I was pointed to this location by our good friend and general manager, Molly, from the tavern. She knew some of the folks managing the Clay Pit and said I should look into it. I'm glad she did, because it just so happened to be that my friends at Haunted ATX Ghost Tours also are connected to the place. In this episode, you'll hear a bit of the history of the building from some of our friends at Haunted ATX, along with some experiences that they have had or their guests have had touring the clay pit. A familiar voice from the tavern joins us again, Mark, who actually used to work at the clay pit and now gives ghost tours through the building himself. Then, you'll actually hear from a few of the staff members as well. First up, we have Diane. Diane a tour guide from Haunted ATX. I want her to introduce a little bit of the backstory and history to this building that the Clay Pit is currently housed in. It is what was formerly known as the Bertram Building, and there's a lot of seedy and kind of covered up history that is a little hard to research, much like the tavern actually, but I am going to try my darndest to get to the bottom of this one before the end of this series on the Clay Pit. In the meantime though, I'd love for you to hear from Diane and what she told me is sort of the basis for what they present as the history surrounding this historic building.
1: Hi, I'm Diane Blank from Haunted ATX. I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about the Clay Pit Restaurant, which is located in a very interesting building called the Bertram Building. The story that I heard was that before 1830, when the Anglos moved to Austin, the area was occupied by three Native American tribes, the Cheyenne, the Apaches, and the Tonkawas who, interestingly enough, were the only Native American tribes who were cannibals. But apparently they all rubbed along together quite well, and they had a little trading post around the area of Guadalupe and East 16th Street, and they all seemed to, you know, they all seemed to uh, interact there very well. Then at some point, I'm not sure of the year, uh, one of those industrious German immigrants named Rudolf Bertram came to the area and set up his own little trading post, and apparently they all traded together. And then in about 1870 or 73, Bertram built himself a uh, general store, I guess, one-story building with a basement, Uh, but he very wisely put a saloon in the back. Because his uh, store was located in a part of the town that was called Guy Town. It was kind of the red light district, had warehouses and things. And right next door was the always present brothel. And in fact, as a little factoid, if you look up at the top of the Bertram building, there is a plow. And my understanding that the plow, kind of like a red light in a window, was a sign for you could purchase your seeds and your plow and plow your fields. Or you could do the same next door. At any rate, Mr. Bertram prospered. He built up, he built out, uh, and in fact, in the 1880s, when the, our state house was being built, the state of Texas stored its gold bullion in the basement of the Bertram building. Now, our state house, like the Capitol in D.C., has a cobweb of tunnels that radiate out from it. And one of those tunnels goes right beneath the sidewalk on 16th Street and curves around and entered into the basement of this building. I guess that the powers that be didn't want to bring the gold bullion through Guy Town in an open buckboard, so they had a tunnel that went straight into the Bertram Building for that purpose. But it had other purposes as well, because in addition to the tunnel that went from the State House to the basement, was a second tunnel in the back of the basement that went from the uh, Bertram Building into the brothel next door. So if you were Joe Cowboy, you could go in, belly up to the bar, have a drink, and go next door to see the ladies. But if you were somebody who is important or didn't want his wife to know, you could sneak in through the tunnel from the state house into the basement of the Bertram building and then go next door through the second tunnel and visit the ladies. One day, Mr. Bertram went down to his basement and found the body of a dead prostitute in the tunnel leading to the house next door. Well, he couldn't have this. He was becoming rich and important. He had been elected an alderman. He was investing in railroads. He and the wife and eight kitties lived upstairs above the store. So presumably, after disposing of the corpse, he bricked up that tunnel that led to the brothel next door. But the spirit of that lady is said to still haunt the Bertram building, and she's known as the Scarlet Lady. In addition of the eight children the Bertrams had, four of them unfortunately died here. They lost one child, and then the next year they had a good year, no one died. And the following year they lost two little girls, eight and ten, to diphtheria. And a little boy whose name or age we do not know, uh, to typhoid is what I read. Obviously he must have been somewhere under the age of seven and uh, probably around three years old. Apparently he also tends to hang out in this building.
0: Now, before we dive into the ghost stories, I feel it's important for you listeners to have a general sense of the layout of this place. The stories in this episode tend to bounce around the building quite a bit, so this will help you get your bearings. So let me just briefly go over the building layout and try to help you visualize the clay pit a bit more. When you walk in the front doors off of Guadalupe Street near the 16th Street Junction, you enter the first floor of what I typically call the main dining hall. Immediately to your right is the first floor bar. To the left Near the center of the main dining hall is a host station, where you'd go to see about getting seated. Just beyond this host station is the main dining area. It's a large space with ample seating. The kitchen is to the right of this area, but is hidden behind a large wall. There are other rooms on the right as well, but those aren't relevant to mention here. What are relevant are the two staircases, both located by the host station. There's a limestone stairway leading down into the cellar. This staircase is directly behind the host station, and as you walk into the main dining area, you can turn and head right down into it. The other staircase leads up to the second floor, and it's just to the right of the host station. When I initially discovered this location, a lot of the current staff were newer, so there weren't a ton of people coming forward with stories to share. It was mostly accounts of what others had experienced and passed along to them. I only had one manager and some of the haunted ATX ghost tour guys willing to share, however, One person finally broke their silence and came through. One of the several owners of the clay pit agreed to meet with me and share what he knew. His name is Bali, and he's been with the clay pit since 1999.
2: Well, I'm not one of the original owners over here. The original owners, uh, they're like, you know, two brothers and a husband and a wife. They got together, they moved from Seattle and from St. Louis, and uh, they decided to open up a Indian restaurant and there were not that many and this building was very attractive to them because it's a unique standalone building so uh, it had its own charm. Uh, I joined soon after it was open in 1998 and 1999 I joined them and uh, as a part uh, chef over the course of the time eventually I ended up uh, being one of the partners and eventually buying my partners out with my own team but yes it's been here for about 20 years now this is the 20th year that uh, we are in existence I don't have any um, personal stories that I can say that, like, you know what, I believe it very strongly. But there are a few incidents that you question yourself. Uh, back in the days, uh, I, one of my uh, previous business partner. So he was locking, in, locking up the restaurant and leaving, and uh, he heard a sound and it just seemed like like we have a bars in the kitchen that we hold pots and pans and hanging it literally like the pots and pan like the bar broke down that was the instant thought about it and uh, he ran back, everything was intact in place. But we, we laughed it off as like, you had a rough day and all that. Fast forward six years later, when I was closing over there and everybody is gone, closing the restaurant, walking out of it. And as soon as I'm getting out of it, I really heard like lots of like plates and flatware, you know, broken. Now, again, we work in a restaurant industry. That is our biggest, you know, fear <laughs> nightmare too. Like when you hear all the plates going down, instant thought, oh man, I got to get those people in early in the morning, have to fix those bars and all that. I go back over there and, um, well, nothing was there. We had another chef here. He was a good friend of mine and we, we worked together before in New Orleans also and he worked here. Every now and then we used to work and we took a nap, like when it's very busy and Sometimes you're tired and you don't want to just go home and it's like, you know what, I'm going to take a cat nap, power nap, right real quick here. No, actually it was in this room here. It was upstairs here. He put six chairs together and put his head down and uh, resting like this. After a while, he felt a little pressure on him trying to keep him down. And he tried to get up. And I'm talking about, this is a big dude. Five feet seven, I would say, 220, 30 pounds. Like a big dude. And uh, he could not get up. And he got up. And first thing, is like, bye! And he's like, didn't hear anything. Okay, whatever. And he's like, Bali, if you're doing it, stop it. We, have, we you know, we tease each other. Like, kitchen is all about fun. So he, he's like, you know what, I'm really tired. So he lay down again, and he feels the same pressure. And this time he was like, got up, but he didn't hear anything. Now you, you can see it. Like, you know, the, we have wood floors. When you walk, you make sound. You cannot be very, very quiet if you're walking on these floors over here. And it triggered him. He came down, and... uh pointed me I was like where were you last two minutes and I was was just laughing I said why and he's like so you were the one I said no man I mean what do you mean I was the one so he's like you tried to pin me down I wouldn't do that. And he's like, but you always joke with me. And I'm like, no, I didn't do that. I wasn't there. Actually, man, I wasn't there. He's like, okay, I believe you. And the only reason I believe you is because second time, my ears were open and I was like, if you do it, I'm going to catch you right away. And he could not, he was pinned down and he couldn't get up. And he's like, I'll tell you that. I'm not taking nap over there again. There was one incident that I was closing. I was training another person. And somebody was training, uh, training along with us. So uh, we walked the floor, everything done. I had to go pick something up from the office. Uh, and I came upstairs to the office. We had another manager and a bartender and one server plus me. So that was the total attendance at that point, the presence inside the building. So bartender was still doing his stuff. The other server was taking the mop bucket outside, and I decided to go up. So when I went up and I was coming down, and somebody threw a rock at the other manager. So I was upstairs already. The rock incident happened. But the manager thought it was again me, Bali being Bali, and I like to have you know fun <laughs> while I'm working, and uh, I was like, no, I, I, I didn't do that, and then like, okay, where's the other person? So we tried to see that maybe the server played a joke on us, but the servers were, at that point was literally behind us, and the bartender was still at the place, and it's like, come on, if anyone of you even did that, why would we want to do it? We all want to close, we want to be nice. So while we are talking and here comes the another rock at that time you know you get a complete attention like you can't be lying you can't be making things up at that and we're like wait All right, let's find out. Maybe there's a fifth person in the building. One person goes from this, one person from the front side. I go from the top, try to see, like, if there's anybody who's leaving the building that we can catch. No, we didn't find it. And uh, we didn't have, like, that many cameras back in the days. Wish we had, and, like, you know, find out. But those little incidents were very interesting. We couldn't find anything. We come down, and we get a third rock. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, pretty intentional thrown rock. So it was coming from the stairs that go on the second level of clay pit. And uh, the first one landed on the floor. We couldn't find it. The second one landed at the bar top. And they are not a part of the building. That was the interesting thing. Those were not like something you could say that, you know, it's just fallen from the roof. Our roof is wooden. If you look at like we have wood planks on the roof. So we just took it a hint, you know, it's time for us to say goodbye and good night and go home to the loved ones we didn't worry to do other diligent checkouts at the late, late time you know like we need to check this we just checked out all the corner doors are locked the exits are locked let's go home and sleep set up the alarm that was uh, like unique experience that I could say the closest one but beyond that, you know, we have few other uh, very spontaneous, funny stories that uh, you always question, like, like what's going on? And another one is, like, people calling in. There's a kid looking out of the window, and the cops calling. Alarm system calling us, and the cops calling us, like, you know, you need to come and open the building. Uh, there's a kid inside that's been spotted at odd hours, right? So... I have let them come in at one point and, you know, I said, don't break the door, I'm coming in and I'll open the thing. So I had to come in the middle of the night. They walked around, nothing was found. We did not, we don't have an area where mothers can, like, you know, breastfeed their children on the side and all that. And uh, this one time, this lady came in and she wanted to, we, we told us, like, you know, go upstairs and uh, in this room and, you know, we can close the area out and nobody's there and uh, you would be fine if you want to go in isolated area versus going to the restroom or you know it's just not hygienic and for a lot of reasons so she came and remember i never met this woman before i don't know this person i haven't even seen her afterwards so she comes down while i was working in front and she's like uh, there's a kid running around upstairs you might want to go check on it and uh you know he's gonna hurt himself so I'm there, our hostess was there and she was just like, "Okay, well, if you need me, I'm just going to go check cuz we don't want kid. Sometimes, you know, families come here, kids slip away and they go upstairs and wander off. To me, I don't want no kid to get hurt. But I come up and I don't hear nothing. And nobody's here. So we come down and like, you know, nothing, nobody's there. And there's not even a time lapse. The the reason I'm questioning about this thing is there's no there's no time difference. The person came down from upstairs, told me, and I walked right up. Because my instant reaction was just like, you know, I don't want a kid to be running around in a restaurant. Anything can happen, and we don't want to be liable for that. So those, when you hear those kind of stories and that kind of stuff, it definitely makes you think twice what you believe or don't believe. We were working, and there was a lady just like, this. a there's a kid on top of the bar. You can't allow a kid on top of the bar. We just look, it's like we don't see nobody over there. And uh, at that time, our hostess, her name was uh, Monica. I can't remember the name, but she was so... She like, can you tell me how the boy looks? So she explained, like, with suspenders and the whole little hat on top. And, um, and she's like... I'm sorry ma'am, Like you know, we appreciate it, but we really don't see uh, any kid at the bar. She's like, are you guys kidding me? And she shook her head and walked away. So we went went to the bar area, like, I really don't see it. But we were so busy that we got back to work again. Uh, The one of 2009, we had uh, people come over, like, you know, Mm -hmm. for Halloween and they stayed over again. You know, they had that set up and everything was laid out. And we were just joking about it. I was like, you know what, I'm going to stick around, but I'm going to go out, have a drink with my friends, and uh, I'm going to come back and check out. I'm not going to stay here. So we went around, and but I came back at like 1.30 or so, and we were just joking about it. I said, did you find anything? Wow, did you guys get lucky? Anything you can... You know? We want to show you something. Okay, fine. We go to the cellar. It's a pitch black. And uh, they put on the, their camera, and he showed me. And they like, check this out. So they turn on the camera, and he showed me the shadow. And we see there are four people, and there's no other light coming in, other source of light. So there's no form of shadow should be there. The only shadow is just like, you know, when you're holding a camera, and the camera's light. But you could literally see if the light was coming, it would be coming from the staircase, so your shadow should be on the other side. And at that time, I was like, you know what? You guys have a wonderful evening. Uh, I think I just overextended my stay here, and I'm going to leave, and uh, you all have a wonderful time. Give me a call tomorrow. If you're in case worried, call 911. My number is not available to come and see you. That has been a very interesting turning point for me to think a little bit differently. If I had not myself seen it, I would have been like, you know, you hear stories. Beyond that, I still want to see, like, you know, what is the encounter? Like, what, then only you can just truly validate it. Those little things, they do make you think at some time, you know, what, what is exactly it is. But I I, I I wouldn't, I never had, like, a very uncomfortable kind of encounter where I am very bothered or thinking differently about it, right? I can't really say much about it because whenever I come here, I'm still a very happy individual. I don't feel when I come in here, like, you know, my energy changes. I'm actually always enthusiastic and actually I feel find more energy in trying to work around it and do my job and been doing it for 19 years and this is the 20th year and still excited about it.
3: Hello, my name is Mark De La Bestia. I am a uh, former employee of the Clay Pit, and I also do Haunted ATX Tours. I first started working here um, a few years ago as a server and a bartender, and didn't really think anything of the place other than it was kind of nice and cool to be working in a historic building. I do remember in my first month or so working here, I did a lot of closing shifts. I do remember one particular experience where we were... Uh, it was just two of us and a manager closing And this had to have been uh, after 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night uh, I was in the kitchen on the line And saw my co-worker come in to my right From the outside, from the, from the dining room And they went behind me And as I saw them pass me I turned around the other way to my left To talk to them about something And uh, they tugged on my shirt And when I turned around towards that left To acknowledge them uh, There was actually nobody there After that, right up at the top of the stairs here, we're in the cellar, by the way, in the, in the basement of the clay pit, the top of the stairs to that cellar is usually where most people have their experiences, where I definitely had most of my experiences here, with the, one of the resident ghosts, we'll say, uh, probably the one that's most associated with this area, with the cellar, and that would be the Scarlet Lady. We understand that she was um, a madam or prostitute, as I said, and she would uh, get people to go through the secret tunnels located in the basement underground, to go to the brothel that was located in what's now the uh, parking lot area of, uh, of, this, of the clay pit. Her quick story is uh, whether by accident or by intent, she was murdered in those tunnels or died in those tunnels. And her ghost or spirit still kind of resides in this area. And the way she makes herself known is by saying people's names. Very clearly and very um, matter of factly, but definitely a female voice. And it's usually a foot or two behind you, and it just says your name very clearly. I would experience that several times a week, to the point where it just became kind of second nature to glance behind you. But, but we do know that she does mainly reside in the basement area or at the top of the stairs in what was uh, originally the uh, Bertram Saloon. So Bertram opened up this general store here as a way to provide for those folks as well, because a dollar is a dollar, no matter who gives it to you. But his uh, secret intent was to provide those favors because he wasn't actually a a councilman, a city councilman. And so he did have a lot of sway and did have um, probably a lot of palms degrees or a lot of influence to be had. And he would uh, gain that influence by providing favors. And so that included uh, the secret entrance to the brothel from his actual saloon slash uh, general store. There isn't uh, a common report of what she actually looks like in spirit form. There is a consensus, uh, and I couldn't really tell you where this came from, but her name, it kind of gives it uh, her appearance away. Very ostentatious lady, uh, very likely dressed as a saloon girl type, if you will. This would have been in the late 1870s. Um, She was a very popular lady, so that's why we think she may have been a madam or something like that. So one of the things that we do, like most folks these days, we have a website, and we like to try to keep that updated. So I hired a photographer to come and kind of recreate some of the uh, what we think may have happened down here in regards to the Scarlet Lady. And so I hired a mo- model, Allie.
4: Hi, I'm Allie. While we were doing some some shoots for like posters and stuff like that for for the imagery of it, um, I was obviously the model, dressed in period attire with corsets and like you know fancy dresses and everything like that. I was in the center alcove because they've got like these these arched alcoves uh, down in the basement of the clay pit. um, Because I was in kind of a a seated pose with kind of like a whoa is me sort of sort of pose with a and the photographer's uh, across the room doing his thing, and then Mark is is holding the flash for the photographer like nestled up into the corner.
3: When we were down here, uh, I was helping the photographer, because he is actually a friend of mine. I kind of noticed that one of the lights is pulsing very, very slowly. And the model is actually uh, on the ground, kind of doing the uh, hands up, danzel in distress, don't hurt me kind of pose. I said, hey, Ali, are you seeing this?
4: The light between Mark and myself starts to flicker, the the light to the establishment. All of the lights are are on one switch, so you can dim them, but, like, all of the lights for the establishment can either go, like, up or down. You can't change just one single bulb. So it was very strange, and I remember catching Mark's eye and and both of us having this look of, are you seeing this?
3: And the light, at some point, just kind of winks out a little bit more, and it's very subtle, and if you weren't looking, if it wasn't right next to my head, I would not have seen it.
4: (laughs) So, that light stopped... And then the one in the same alcove on the other side of the room, directly across from us, in the same little little alcove covey, starts to flicker. And then that one also stops. And then I got hit with this feeling of absolutely feeling very woozy and just weird. And it, it almost felt like... The moment before you faint and how everything kind of like tunnel visions and felt like I got clonked over the head and like couldn't breathe.
3: When that light moved from over here, the kind of uh, pulsing light moved from one side to the other and it seemingly went through her and she got extremely ill.
4: So it was very, very strange. Um, Mark helped me to the table that we had just had dinner at and got me some water and he's like, Are you okay? You know, Are, are you all right? And I'm like... I'm good. What are we shooting next? Like, I feel fine. Like, I don't know what happened there at all. (laughs) Like, it was very weird.
3: She was wearing a corset and dressed in kind of the saloon girl style that we were talking about earlier. But she's been doing this for a very long time. She's been a professional model for about 12 years or so. So she knows how to wear a corset. She knows how to sit, how to control her breathing, that type of thing. And she said that she's never had this experience.
4: The photographer kind of made the remark of, oh, you know, it's, it's because you're in a corset and you're you're tied too tightly. And I'm like, I remember Mark and myself just kind of looking at him and being like, um, I do backbend shimmies in steelbone corsets. I don't think that's the issue here. <laughs> I'm very conscious of my body when I am uh, tight-laced in, in proper corsets and, and everything. So it definitely was was not that. I've never experienced anything like that or felt anything of that nature. Um, I didn't feel like it was anything menacing but it it was alarming um, and I'll go down in the basement uh, still for tours now and um, I'll have a headache the entire time I'm down there and again it just it feels like she, she just wants to make her presence known and like I am somebody who, um, I, do, I do modeling, I do burlesque, and so I do a lot more risque work. And so it would make sense for her to kind of reveal herself and um, ask in a way for that empathy from somebody who, who is a bit more relatable like myself.
5: My name is Dred McGowan, Uh, I'm one of the managers here at the Clay Pit. I have uh, been here for 17 or 18 years, Uh, honestly I forget, (laughs) it's been that long. I recall when I first started working here, uh, they gave us a tour of the building. Uh, Coming into this room, in the cellar, I felt a little bit of a presence, I was like, there's something here. This is probably the fourth, maybe fifth haunted building I've worked here in Austin. So it's nothing new to me. I'm, I'm used to it. In many of these places, I've been the head bartender or manager, so I'm often there and here, late at night, often by myself. I'm more afraid of the living late at night than I am the dead. If there's somebody alive in the building that late at night, no, no. The dead, they're not going to. But uh, I had come down here, and I felt something a little eerie, but at the same time familiar. One of the original owners mentioned to me about the history, and he said that he's pretty sure that at one point in time, uh, slaves, or a slave, was kept here in the cellar. If you look in the ceiling, there are some hooks, and one is definitely a hook that the chain would go through. And what I've surmised is that, you know, possibly a slave being held in transport, moving it from city to city overnight. And then Manu told me, he said, yeah, we're, he's pretty sure that a slave passed away down here. We had some people that came through a couple of months ago for a KUT production, and they were taking people on tours down here. One of the women that came down here was a medium, and, uh, you know, they were sort of doing the the haunted ghost tour type thing also. And she came upstairs, she stopped me, and she said, you know, I was downstairs, and I felt the spirit, and I, I asked them, I said, why are you still here? Why haven't you left? And she said the response she got back was property. She said, what's wrong with this property? What, what, what's keeping the spirit here? I said, no, you misunderstood. It's not the property. It's that the ghost that spoke to you was property. So it's very possible that there's more than one spirit down here. A couple of my servers have told me that uh, they'll be down here and they'll feel somebody tugging on the back of their apron. said so that many a night uh, the music will either get turned off or just turned on. Uh, Allie, one of my servers, she said she was leaving. She turned off the music. She gets to the bottom of the stairs, and it comes back on again. She thought nothing of it the first couple of times, thought, you know, it's electrical or you know, the system's wrong. And she said, you know, it happened four or five times. And so now she just shakes her head says, really, can I just go home now? So these are the funny little things that often happen down here. We've had a few managers... Uh, several servers up on the main floor. Somebody's called their name. And they turn around and look, and there's nobody there. Uh, you know, the, one, of, one of my old managers uh, asked, uh, she you know, were you just calling my name? Did you, did you call me? I, said, I was out back taking out the recycling. She said, no, somebody just... Called. And it was just her and I were the only ones here. And that is a common one. I notice that when people say it happens, it's usually the beginning of the shift, the end of the shift, when there's almost no one here. Someone will be on the floor sweeping or setting a table, and they'll hear somebody call their name, and they'll turn and look, and there'll be nobody there. Uh, That's very common. We had a waitress that was upstairs. She was waiting for one of the other waiters. They were leaving to go out drinking. And she said, oh, I don't believe in the ghost. This is is all your overactive imagination, blah, blah, blah. She was sitting on the bench right up front. And uh, she heard something, and... A polished rock hit the wooden wall below the bar and bounced off of it and landed in front of her, just sitting there spinning, and she looked down and picked it up, and this was and I saw the rock, it was a very small round polished rock, almost like a marble well, she thought that it was uh, I remember his name, she thought it was our waiter Ben, messing with her because she doesn't believe in ghosts, she was just, Real funny, Ben, real funny. Ben and I were both <laughs> in the alleyway taking out garbage and recycling, and I came in through the bar door right before it. She said, where's Ben? I'm going to kill him. I'm like, he's in the alleyway. She said, you didn't? I was like, no. She said, somebody just threw this at me. She was the only one here. I said, no, he was in the alleyway with me. I just came in through this door. He's coming through the kitchen. He came back around. She said, Ben, are you? She said, No. And she said, oh, my God, that's it. I'm out of here. I'll meet you at the bar. And ran out the door. Upstairs in our banquet hall, which is where the family residences were, we had a family that came in for dinner. And it was the husbands and wives. And it was uh, two sisters. And so the mom and the aunt. And one of the women had two little daughters, uh, uh, a toddler and, and one even just a little bit younger than that. And they took them upstairs in the banquet hall to change their diapers. They changed the the eldest one's diaper first, and they were changing the smaller one. And the, the toddler who could speak kept staring over the mom and the aunt's shoulder. And when she was standing She said, Mama, look, look, boy, look at the boy, look at the little boy. And the mother and the aunt turned around. Our banquet hall is empty at this point in time, and they didn't see anything. But both daughters, the one that didn't speak, kept looking and kept looking and was fixated on something. And the one that could speak was pointing and saying, this little boy, mama, little boy. And they came downstairs to resume their dinner. At some point in time, they came to the bar and, and asked me about it. I said, yes, it was one of the Bertram family children that passed away. We we're quite sure of that upstairs. The child's father was holding them while the ladies went to the restroom. And he said, you know, where's where's the baby? Where's the boy? Where's the boy? And they were at the bottom of the stairs. And the toddler said, upstairs, Daddy, upstairs, little boy, little boy. Which was just kind of, I, I just sat at the bar, I was just laughing. I was like, yep. So, it's, you know, there's children with, you know, unfettered minds that can see those things. And, you know, the mom and the auntie are like, what is going on? I'm like, oh, yeah, your daughters, both of them, they saw the little boy ghost very clearly. I was working a party upstairs uh, behind this is when I was bartender. I was behind the bar in our banquet hall. We had a big wedding party, and uh, they were mostly at the south end of the hall. This is tail end of the party uh, during the reception where they're dancing and drinking and just celebrating. So the inn towards the bar, there's nobody there, just me. and I. I'm just waiting for the party to wind down in case anybody wants any more drinks. I bent down to pick up something off the floor, and as I stood up, I felt something brush at the top of my, my bald head. You know, I'm like, I thought something fall from the ceiling. Uh, what was? The, I was like, oh, that's interesting. It felt like I brushed up against someone. I was like, all right. So, uh, a little while later, uh, I was uh, backing up, going to the register, and you know, took a couple steps back. And the, the second step backwards. I felt a hand on my hip and right below my shoulder blade as if you're backing into someone and they're like, whoa, behind you. And I clearly felt the hand on my hip and my shoulder blade. I had worked that party with one other waiter. I thought he was behind me. I turned around, he's not there. He had gone downstairs to the kitchen. And I looked around and I just kind of went, okay. And I raised my arm and felt the hair of my arm that was standing up straight. I was like, all right closed my eyes, and smelled. And like I said, this is not the first haunted building I've worked in, but I got that sickly sweet smell of like um, rotting flowers or overripe fruit. Very, very sweet. And I was like, so I just closed my eyes, and I said, hello, my name is Dredd, nice to meet you, how are you doing? I just introduced myself. So from that, from the position of the hands on my back, the person was Four feet tall, four feet three. So definitely a child of about seven to nine years old. And, you know, I'm backing up into him. He puts his hands up like, whoa, don't run into me sort of thing. Um, It's just clear as day. I definitely felt the hands on my back, two hands. So pretty much since then, since I introduced myself, I really haven't had any encounters with him. Danny, the same waiter that I worked with that night, He had worked another party upstairs. At the end of the night, he'd cleaned up the room, and he was going out the back door down to the kitchen. He uh, turned around to to scan the hallway to make sure that he had cleared out everything, all the tablecloths and linens. and, And he turned and looked, and just out of the corner of his eye, he saw a little boy waving to him. And he turned around to go through the door, and he stopped and went, "'The party's gone!' he turned back and looked again and there was no one there and he just kind of went okay the building really is haunted and that was the first thing that that, you know he said he saw a little boy with dark brown hair just kind of sticking his head around a corner and waving goodbye it's clear as day and he, he realized wait a minute everybody's gone there shouldn't be anybody in there that was it
0: At one point during the interviewing process, Mark wanted to take me downstairs to see if we could find any staff members that might have had experiences. We ended up going up to the host station where there were two employees working that had some experiences they wanted to share. Mark went ahead and pointed out where... People often hear their name being called by what they believe to be the Scarlet Lady. It was literally right at the host station.
3: In this area, like right in this area here, is usually where we would hear uh, people or somebody behind you saying your name. This is usually where I heard it, where I was most aware of it, especially like looking out over the main dining and everything like that. And just hearing somebody behind you thinking it's a co-worker because the POS, the computer, is right behind you. But usually there was nobody there.
4: My name is Allie. I've been at the Clay Pit for almost five years now. And my most recent experience was uh, probably a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my other host Zach and I, we would seat tables and we would feel a hand on our backs, and it was definitely a hand. And it kind of felt like you know someone saying, "Hi, I'm here. Don't back into me." Except there wasn't anyone there. It happened to me probably twice, and it happened to Zach probably like three times, right? Yeah. It was like right. It was like right on the lower back, like right between the hip and the ribs.
3: My name's Zach. I've worked here for probably like six months. Um, and my, I've only had probably two experiences here. The first one would be when I was going down the stairs, I would feel the hand as well as Alec And then I felt something touch my nose when I was coming back up the stairs. And that was a very weird feeling. Like I've never felt anything like that before. And then, I don't know, when I'm upstairs in the... It was the little kids' room. You get just a super eerie feeling when you're in there. Yeah, I, I wasn't a believer, and I'm still a little skeptical, but the things that happened were definitely strange and unexplained.
1: Well, the back room, on there's one back room on the upstairs floor that was reputed to be the site of where the youngest child was quarantined and died. The only experience I have ever had in there was to feel a cold spot, Um, I had a guest on my tour about a year ago, and she went and stood at the far end of that room opposite the entry door and said to me, there's a cold spot here. And I was a bit skeptical because I thought she was standing right in front of the air conditioning vent. But I checked the windows. It was March. The air conditioning was not on. So I went over and stuck my hand in and... It felt like sticking my hand inside of a refrigerator or freezer. It was discernibly colder in that area than anywhere else in the room. Hasn't happened since, but it was kind of strange.
3: Right now we're upstairs, what's known as Bertram's Hall, kind of an event hall up here where they hold the private functions. There was a salsa club that used to go up here on Wednesday nights and salsa dance lessons, stuff like that. We're kind of a mixed-use type of room. And there's also, uh, the Bertram's Hall, I should say, is in the original part of the building. There was an actual wooden structure that used to be here, which the uh, foundations, I think, go back to the 1850s, which is where we were before in the basement. On, upstairs on the second floor, when they built the limestone building, that's here now, is where the Bertram family lived. And if you look at the walls, uh, on the other side of this curtain, you'll see that there's a broken wall. I personally believe, but we don't uh, have any plans of the interior, But I believe that's where the dividing wall was between the sleeping quarters and the rest of the house were, kind of the general living area versus kind of the back area where the kitchen uh, chamber pots or whatever they used back then type of thing was. But this is also the area where uh, the Bertram children died that we talked about before, two of them having died, I believe, from either uh, tuberculosis or diphtheria. And then another one, um, uh, he did die up here as well. I was up here with a uh, a group uh, that had hired the whole car. There was uh, supposed to be seven of them, including a two-year-old. When the lady reached out and said, is there room for a car seat in the back of the hearse? Because we do use a customized hearse limousine. Bench seating and air conditioning, it's all tricked out. It's really nice. I kind of told her that I wasn't comfortable putting a car seat in the back of a hearse. It's just kind of bad juju to me. I have a uh, almost three-year-old at the time. She was two, uh, where this baby was two. And so, when we got up here, you know, we had gone through the whole tour. The clay pit is uh, the last stop on the tour. We got up here to the second floor, of the Bertram's Hall, and I started telling the story of the little boy who's been heard uh, running up and down uh, the floor here on the hardwood floor. He's also been seen by, as you heard in Dread story, by one of the uh, by one of the staff members, a little boy waving or interacting or trying to interact with people. And most of the time, this is the end of the tour, uh, so it's. So I usually have people sit down and usually in a semicircle or if there's a table like we're at now, then uh, we usually have them uh, just kind of relax. It's, it's been a long tour. So I started telling the story about a little boy, ghost that's up here, and the, uh, the mother of the two-year-old, the 25 or mid-20s young lady, her face just went completely white and she reached out and put her hand on her mother. And she's like, Mom, while we were going up the stairs, there was a little boy and he was holding on to your leg. As you were walking up the stairs. And that woman says, I wasn't going to say anything, but I saw that little boy walking up the stairs next to my mother. Until you mentioned it, I wasn't going to say a word. And I was kind of like, why the hell weren't you going to say anything? You're on a ghost tour. You had an actual ghost experience and you were not going to say anything. So she kind of just felt like, well, I didn't know if I thought I might be crazy or something like that. So one of the other experiences that we've had up here was kind of a seance type thing. Uh, I don't really have a core belief system in any type of organized religion or anything like that. I don't uh, believe in God or the devil or anything like that. So I'm, I'm not very quick to uh, believe in those type of things or even to call upon them, that type of thing. So as I'm telling the stories about uh, up here, uh, I kind of notice... That the one light above me over here is kind of pulsing, and I just happened to mention it to my group. And I don't necessarily mention uh, when things are occurring to my group because I like them to be experience it for themselves. And there are quite a few things that happen on our tours because it just seems a little contrived if you know, if you know what I mean. Kind of pride myself on our tour that it is a more authentic experience than kind of a like a Scooby Doo experience, if you will. So I said, "Do you see the light above me?" And they finally noticed it one of the ladies says oh my god they're, they're they're pulsing and i said well if you ask them really nicely maybe they'll make themselves known and she just goes are you there just kind of blatantly just says it just and i'm like i just said uh all right let's try something gathered under the light that was pulsing the only light that was pulsing uh in the entire uh, upstairs and we all held hands in a circle and this is not something I normally do. Again, I don't believe in uh, necessarily uh, religious, occult, that type of thing. But what I uh, told the lady to do, I said, like, okay, now reask the question, but be very polite. And this kind of calm just settled over the group. It just almost like as if we, when we linked the hands, this, something happened. But there, definitely there was a, an energy to the group that we had. The, this look of calm just came over this lady's face, the one that was asking uh, before, And when she said the next thing, it was just perfect. In my mind, it was just the exact thing that you should say and the way you should say it. We were all holding hands and looking up at the light that was pulsing very slowly. She just said in the most serene, calm voice, she's like, if you're there, will you please let us know? And then the lights winked out right above us. And of course, I'm not looking at that light that we're looking at, but I'm looking at the other lights that are on the same circuit to see if they do the same thing. And the light above us was the only one that winked out.
4: Out of all of the locations that, that Haunted ATX has, has brought me to, is probably the most activity that I've felt, and, like, um, because I'll also upstairs feel... Kind of the presence of the kids sometimes it'll feel like they're sitting on my feet and then like leaning against my legs and um being really playful i'll get like cold spots just feeling like they're trying to hold my hand it feels like there's weird vibes around the corners of, of the room and i always feel like looking around in the upstairs but they're fun <laughs> they're definitely playful and it's Claypit's a really cool place
1: I started out as a skeptical person. Uh, I read once that a cynic is a person who gets some information and thinks, oh, poo, nonsense, it'll never happen, negative, negative. A skeptic is a person who gets a piece of information and thinks, I wonder. I was trained as a lawyer, practiced law for many years, so with me, it's just the facts, please. However, I'm now retired from that, and I've, I've become a believer. I have seen and heard too many things from too many people who have no way of knowing these things or knowing each other or to make up these stories, not only about these particular places we visit on the tour, but other places as well. Uh, And I can't discount it. Our humanoid uh, senses are really so paltry (laughs) that it stands to reason there's a lot of stuff out there that we are completely unaware of. I just
2: don't know what to make out of it. I don't want to change anything. I, I really don't want to change anything. And it's very good, the way it's working out good for me. And uh, we welcome the stay, if there's any stay over here. As long as we can stay away from their path, I guess. You know, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I unless I have a very solid where, just like you have epiphany in at some point. If I have a very solid experience, then I would make me change my mind and I might think differently coming to work hours. But I did change my work hours, by the way. I don't try to stay here very late night.
0: One of my favorite parts of interviewing the staff was interviewing Bali, who really hadn't come out a lot about his stories other than to personal friends and co-workers. So I really appreciate him coming onto the show and, and sharing these because they're very special. Uh, he's been there for eighteen years, nineteen years, and What I find really interesting about Bali is he embodies exactly what I believe this show was created for. He is skeptical. He's on the fence. However, he's had a lot of experiences, as you can tell, and some of them have been very validating. Seeing the shadow figure on the camera, the noises he hears, the incident with the stones that they couldn't figure out. But still, he says he still hasn't had that one experience that would convince him without a doubt that goes surreal and i think a lot of us are there and that's why we listen to this show and that's why we are fascinated by these things but what i find so funny is that despite all this bali admits he does what he can to avoid being there late at night like changing his schedule so he doesn't have to close anymore and i find that really fascinating and it's the whole reason i'm doing this show is because i am curious as well not only about ghosts and the paranormal but our perception of how we believe or how we don't believe. And I think this was a very fascinating case uh, in interviews that I had with people from all different perspectives. So I hope you enjoyed the show. And I'm happy to report that Sarah has joined me again for this particular series on the Clay Pit. And we will have another episode coming out next month where Sarah and I visit the Clay Pit, not once, not twice, but three times to get to the bottom of this mystery. So stay tuned and tune in to hear Episode 7, The Clay Pit, Part 2, on April 30th. Remember to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thenightoutpodcast and consider becoming a Night Out Patron. A special thank you goes out there to all my current Patrons. Your recurring monthly contributions help keep the show going and improving. Don't forget to check out all the exclusive extra content on our Patreon page that only you as a Patron have access to. I'll actually be uploading a video walkthrough of The Clay Pit and some really cool new content from Royal Legion Tattoo and The Tavern, so be sure to go check out the page. I want to thank my two wonderfully talented musician friends, Nicholas Fair and P.D. Wilder, for providing the music for the show. Please show your support for their amazing work by visiting their websites. Links to them can be found at thenightoutpodcast.com under our credits page. One more thing. I'd also like to thank Haunted ATX for sharing their stories with me. If you'd like to tour the Clay Pit, make sure to visit their website and book a ghost tour today. Visit hauntedatx.com. Thanks for listening to episode 6 of the Night Owl Podcast. If you're not already, find us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here I post a lot about upcoming episodes, and you get sneak peeks and behind-the-scenes photographs of each location. And as always make sure to go to our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Here you can access our blog, which has a ton of behind-the-scenes information and photographs from each episode. Stay restless out there, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to Driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T Worksound.com and get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's DriftworkSound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.